Hello to all my readers and listeners. This is Karen Hunt, a.k.a. K.H. Majek, and I have a new essay for you. I had to take a little detour from what I was working on because I really felt I needed to write something about Trump. But first of all, let me say thank you once again to all my readers and listeners for subscribing. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe, and especially if you can become a paid subscriber. This really helps me to be able to um, do all the long hours of research needed to write my essays and and to um, make them available to everyone because I do not have a paywall. All right, so this is called The Trouble with Trump. Maybe there needed to be one side believing they were awakened and the other side believing they were woke. Maybe the creator of a reality show was the perfect person to bring down reality. So here's a little tale of morality, corruption, and power that I've written. (laughs) The slithering snakes inhabiting the dark corridors of Washington, D.C. must rue the day they ever underestimated the orange man bad. When Trump declared his first run for presidency and vowed to drain the swamp, the most ancient of the fat and sluggish king cobras laughed, and all the snakes beneath them laughed too. This imposter was nothing to worry about. He would easily be brought down and made to suffer for his impudence. Orders were whispered to the wily press who flicked their forked tongues and happily got busy. The orange man bad was pilloried as a buffoon, a used car salesman. Just look at that stupid mop of hair, a former reality show host. I mean, honestly, he'd never be invited to the Oscars. If only Obama could return. He was so handsome, so suave. He fit right in with the Hollywood elite and basketball stars. His parties were classic. The orange man ignored the glitz and glamour. In fact, he disdained it. Drain the swamp, he kept saying. When he actually won, all those self-assured, privileged snakes were gobsmacked. Chief among them, his sadistic opponent, Hillary Clinton, gnashed her teeth and to this day has never admitted that it really happened. The shadowy overlords, because even King Cobras have overlords too, were angry. How could an insignificant outsider have beat what had been so carefully crafted into the appearance of the most powerful force on earth? the United States of America's Washington, D.C.'s Uniparty. Perception is everything, and now that perception was in danger. Lustrous, seductive lies fed to the public over years upon years had convinced the majority of people to become dependent on drugs and technology. Now they were on the verge of convincing all those brainwashed billions to willingly walk into a digital prison and happily lock themselves in. And the orange man was putting their plans in jeopardy. The pain and suffering the overlords would inflict upon the D.C. snakes would be beyond anything they had ever inflicted upon their underlings. The Uniparty had to ensure that even if their masks slipped a little in the coming battles, the populace would be so fearful, so confused, that they would turn on one another in hatred rather than on the D.C. snakes who were the real culprits. If the snakes were already corrupted, they became a hundred times more so now. They would do anything to achieve their goal of bringing down the orange man bad. They would dedicate themselves to chaos, destroy the planet in the name of green energy, stir up wars, encourage riots at home and famines abroad. They would sell their souls to Big Pharma and unleash a plague. And so COVID arrived on the scene. Perhaps Trump could have survived everything else, but he could not survive COVID. And here comes the twist. After going to the bother of telling that little story, maybe it isn't true either. 
Maybe Trump was an active participant in the plot all along. Maybe he was the catalyst needed to divide the country and indeed the world and bring about the chaos that we now see all around us. Maybe there needed to be one side believing they were awakened and the other side believing they were woke. Maybe the creator of a reality show was the perfect person to bring down reality. But now most of us realize that the words being thrown at us aren't an accident. The one word, COVID, yes, it's an acronym, but we see it as a word, has had a greater influence in our lives than any other word, perhaps down through history. For each person, it means something different, and those differences are what has torn us apart. I love the Bible verse, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves, be therefore wise as serpents and simple as doves. To me, this means use your intellect, not your emotions. Don't overreact to words like serpent. Understand the deeper meaning. We will never get the truth by aligning with left or right, by believing mainstream or or alternative media. Both sides have been compromised. To be simple means to use your common sense. Fly above the racket while remembering to stay grounded in the real world. Here we are, back where we were a few years ago. Trump is running for president once again. The swamp didn't destroy him, but neither did he destroy it. Nothing has improved since Trump first made that vow. In fact, it's much worse. As more and more people claim to know the truth, we find ourselves falling further and further into illusion. Every assault that we have endured, from COVID to the threat of nuclear war to the coming collapse of the fiat system, has led us deeper into confusion. This has brought us closer than ever to the ultimate goal of the elites, post-humanism, unlocking the secrets of life itself. This goal is pushed by the transgender movement, the most audacious brainwashing mechanism of them all. We are in a war on reality, and everyone, from Trump to Biden to Fauci to Zelensky to all the others, have had their part to play. The public must believe that illusion is safer, must believe that illusion is safer and better for you than reality. Anyone who does not accept the illusion but insists on living in reality is the enemy. I think back to my dad's talks when I was a teenager. He warned repeatedly of how we were losing our way. And for my readers who don't share the same faith as me, I am not trying to convert you. I'm speaking of basic truths that we all know are instinctual that we all know instinctually. And that we have, but that we have been led to deny. So my dad fought against outside forces infiltrating the church. And by the church, he didn't mean a certain denomination or a building. The church is the people, not a structure built by the establishment to demonstrate their wealth and power. He spoke passionately against psychology, Eastern mysticism, and the prosperity preachers and the dangers of accepting new interpretations to the Bible. He encouraged people to get back to the basics, to not be impressed by experts insisting that they knew better. We all had access to God's word and the teachings of Jesus. If we always returned to the source, it would keep us grounded. It was the simple people who were drawn to Jesus and loved him. The rich and the powerful, the religious leaders and the scholars hated him. He exposed them for the lying hypocrites that they were. Although at the time I thought my dad went too far with his remonstrations, I am so thankful that I had his instruction all those years ago. It helped me to recognize what is happening now. Whereas at the beginning of COVID, people at least argued across left and right. Now opposing sides never interact. Those on the right argue endlessly amongst themselves about details such as whether or not the vaccine is a bioweapon and exactly how many people have been killed because of it. 
Pundits make a lot of money off of the latest revelations, but just like Trump never drained the swamp, these arguments lead nowhere. Fauci still isn't jailed, and Pfizer's Albert Borla is calling this the golden age of vaccines. It's like factions within a church arguing about whether or not a woman should wear makeup when they should be focusing on caring for the poor. It's another way to make us forget what's really important, which is to live real lives in the real world. Interacting with one another outside of the devices that are acclimatizing us slowly but surely to allowing our bodies to be experimented on by scientific experts and our brains to be invaded by machines. Of course, it's impossible to ignore all these bombshell news stories. A few days ago, Trump said he would be arrested on the 21st, citing leaked information from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. According to Reuters, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is investigating whether Trump falsified business records by concealing his reimbursement of his former lawyer and fixer, Michael Cohen, for a $130,000 payment Cohen made to porn star Stormy Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford. This is a charge that federal officials refused to prosecute, a misdemeanor in New York that Bragg has decided to elevate to a felony, while at the same time downgrading other felonies to misdemeanors. Trump was silenced in the press for a long time, but now he's back. And think about it. Nobody had to bring him back, but they did. Why? If anything, surely the left believes he poses an even greater threat now than he did before. He's back on Facebook. I suppose it's just a matter of time before he returns to Twitter. I get it. If he wants to win, he has to have a voice. If I want anyone to read what I am writing here, I have to put it out on social media. And that's where you are all reading it, no matter how you feel about the technology you are using to do so. The technology itself isn't evil. We all make compromises that we feel we can live with. If Trump's job has been to stir up conflict, he certainly is good at it. The minute he's back in the news, the conflicts start. The Independent described what is called, what it called Trump's chilling warning of what will happen after his indictment. Trump demanded that his supporters protest his imminent arrest in New York in a furious all-cap social media post typical of his violent visions of America in chaos, a dying and third-world country where leftist thugs are killing and burning with no retribution. His words were reminiscent of that fateful six, June, sorry, January 6th day when he encouraged his supporters to protest in what Biden went on to describe as the worst attack on democracy since the Civil War. There is certainly no shortage of exaggeration in this propaganda campaign. Just a couple of days previously, the International Criminal Court, ICC, in The Hague issued an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin for overseeing the abduction of Ukrainian children. Well, the other side of the story is that these children are being taken out of harm's way, but that's not up for consideration. According to The Guardian, this is one of the rare occasions when the court has issued a warrant for a sitting head of state. Putting Putin in the company of the Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi and the Sudanese president Omar al-Bashir. Clearly, in a calculated move, Trump is being linked once again with Putin as if they are twin conspirators dedicated to destroying the free world. Not only that, but by association with Putin, Trump is now being put in the same boat as Gaddafi and al-Bashir. If ever we doubted that a small group of elites controls every major media outlet in the world, here is the proof. Threats of arrest of the two most influential men of our times, one in the West and one in the East, were issued simultaneously, the news being reported globally as one united voice. 
Whether or not Trump is arrested tomorrow and carted off in handcuffs is now open to debate, although his indictment still seems imminent. But Trump sure pushed the news to his advantage. Elon Musk weighed in on the drama by saying if Trump is arrested, it will ensure his presidential victory in a landslide. The former Trump spokesperson, Taylor Budovich, now running a pro-Trump super PAC called MAGA Inc., said in a statement that an indictment will not only serve to coalesce President Trump's support, but it will become the single largest in-kind contribution to a federal campaign in political history. What I say is, if Trump is elected, it will prove once and for all that he has gone over to the dark side. Otherwise, he will never be allowed to be president. If people, people can scoff at the idea that we are being influenced by a small group of elites who rule the world, but Glenn Greenwald is spot on when he says in his recent show, so the media are servants of a small group of people who run the world. The media's real function is to serve as their kind of enforcers to make sure no one's dissenting too much from the orthodoxies on which they rely to maintain their power. No matter how much you hate the corporate media, it is not enough. It is literally impossible to overstate not only the damage that they do, but the malice with which they do it. And by malice, I don't mean that they are evil masterminds. I mean malice in the sense of the banality of evil. The people who go and punch clock, the clock every day never question what they are doing, but whose work is nonetheless incredibly toxic and harmful. They are just basically sociopathic careerists, but no matter, sometimes these people can be the most destructive. And that small group of people who run the world could not succeed, I believe, as well, I agree with him, with Greenwald. They would not succeed without the pencil pushers, the lesser snakes, who are given their marching orders and follow through without a thought beyond beyond maybe getting a little recognition for their loyalty, a gold star, a bigger holiday bonus, an invitation to a special event where they can hobnob with those a little higher than themselves and dream of dethroning one of them and taking their place. Greenwald goes on to say it's encouraging how younger people in particular are well aware that the media lies to them and they don't listen to it. But Greenwald is forgetting that young people still are still getting their news from somewhere, and that somewhere is their favorite influencers on social media. In fact, this is where most of us get our news now. The algorithms have sucked us into echo chambers where we are fed a constant loop of information, reinforcing, uh, reinforcing our positions and what has become opposing dogmatic belief systems. Everyone is now part of a worldwide hive where members continually agree with one another's perspective. This gives everyone the false sense that they are on the winning side, forgetting that it is all manufactured to keep them passive and preoccupied. Nothing outside of the real world is real. <laughs> and soon we will be getting all our information from chat box like chat GPT, which in turn have been fed what to say by programmers. We already know search engines like Google limit our ability to find information, but that's nothing compared to what it will become. You will ask a question and the bot will give you the answer. You will not search for answers yourself. You will not go to the library, get a bunch of books and read a lot of different viewpoints. Since when has anyone done that anyway? Books will become more and more dangerous and fewer and far between. 
Already, people don't think that they have the time to research anything for themselves. Who wants to sit down and pour over different sources of information? We know what's true. We've been fed it by our chosen pundits for the last three years. Leaders on the right are saying that they need to fight chat GPT with their own chatbots. But that's no different. It will just mean being fed the opposite side of the story. Either way, people are being trained to stop thinking for themselves and allow machines to do it for them. There is a lot we can learn from Trump, which is why he's such a problem. He said a lot that rang true. In December 2019, on the day the House Democrats voted to impeach him, Trump warned the 73.6 million people who voted for him, over 7 million more than any sitting president had ever received in history, yet he still didn't win because that guy hiding in the basement got more go figure, that they aren't after me, they're after you. At the time, I thought of the Bible verse, Ezekiel 22:30. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. As I point out in my essay, they're not after me, they're after you. To his critics, Trump's warning was just another one of his crazed, over-the-top, fear-mongering, divisive, irresponsible, need I go on, tweets. But Trump was only reiterating what Hillary Clinton had already told the nation during her 2016 presidential campaign when she said that Donald Trump and his basket of deplorables were a threat to American democracy. Joe Biden's inaugural address fanned the flame of hatred ignited by Clinton, targeting half of the country as the enemy by declaring that the rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism was a looming threat the country must confront and defeat. Over the course of the ensuing months, shackling those who had stormed to the Capitol and committed an insurrection became indistinguishable from condemning those who were committing murder by questioning governmental COVID policies, such as lockdowns, maskings, and the mandated injection of millions with an experimental mRNA gene therapy concocted by greedy and corrupt drug companies. Articles such as this one in Wired push the narrative by comparing the people they describe as white nationalists to pathogens spread from host to host. And here are some highlights from this Wired article. It's quite unbelievable. Deplorables are strains, move like viruses, are highly contagious, and replicate replicate quickly and clumsily. They are like parasitic infections, like tapeworms. Their views are better described as a cancer because they are coming from within and homegrown. Of course, they warn of mutations. It is like a birth defect. White nationalism lives in every cell of the American project, not just in the low class and uneducated. It is also considered chimeric and a rare class of diseases where malignant cells can be transmitted between people. The problem is so rampant, it threatens the species with extinction. Of course, in the time of COVID hysteria, the solution was obvious. All the places where the cancer resides must be identified. The article contended addressing the vulnerabilities in the American immune system and cutting off the, the communication channels that serve as a bloodstream, i.e. social media for white nationalism to further propagate, causing disseminated destruction. Further, the Biden administration has already outlined formal plans for improved surveillance of emerging infectious disease in response to COVID-19. A similar process to address domestic terrorism could just as easily be activated. Insurrectionists and anti-vaxxers were effectively thrown into the white nationalist deplorable pot, and there they remain. 
I have to wonder how things would have gone if COVID had never arrived on the scene. It certainly arrived at an opportune moment. The swamp snakes were never going to allow Trump to succeed in exposing them. At first, Trump followed the experts like Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci. <clears throat> I'm sure any one of us would have done the same if we had been in his shoes. But if you look through the history of events, as I do in one of my first essays, The Demonization, the Demonization of the Unvaxxed, Trump came increasingly into conflict with Fauci and the others. When he tried to point out possible alternatives to Fauci's despotic rules, he was vilified for it. Back in August 2019, an opinion piece in the Washington Post titled, Who Does President Trump Treat Worse Than Anyone Else? Scientists, reads almost as if they were preparing for these attacks on Trump, ensuring that the scientists were above reproach. And I quote from that article, this is the intellectual rot of the Trump era. It's more than just an anti-big government ideology. It's a systematic assault on science across the federal government. These actions will reverberate in our government for years to come, even after the Trump administration is gone, in the form of policy decisions we make without the benefit of the best evidence available. And worse, Americans may not even be aware of how they are being deceived and deprived. That's the true scandal of Trump's war on scientists. No other group is so pervasively targeted and so thoroughly ignored, yet it is their voices more than any other that our nation needs in this disturbing political moment. At that time, Trump's war on science had to do with ignoring environmental concerns. Hypocrisy at its best, when there is no government, no successful corporation, not even a single liberal do-gooder driving their EV that isn't destroying the environment. We can argue forever about whether or not Trump is a good guy, or whether or not he is the right candidate for president, yet again, or whether or not we continue to have free elections, or if indeed we ever had them. But we can all agree that what Trump did do was rile the people up. They started asking questions, finding the courage to talk about things they had never considered important before. He made the common people believe that their voices mattered. That was what the common people loved about him and what the privileged class hated. No high-minded intellectual techie or anyone, for that matter, who lived in a nice house in the suburbs and believed they were the most self-righteous, clean energy advocates, religiously prostrating themselves before the idol of science, wanted the swamp drained. They benefited too much from it. Incredibly, this meant that intelligent people had to deny there even was a swamp, when of course they knew that there was one. They had to lie to themselves, and the more they did, the more they were obligated to believe those lies. How ironic. The left was supposed to be about the working class, but those days of pro protesting in the 60s and 70s were long gone. Those young rebels brainwashed with leftist ideology became the professors, the politicians, the technocrats, embedded in the establishment and profiting from it. They took money and built their little empires, puffed out their chests, and formed nonprofits to hide their money under the guise of helping those beneath them. They moved into gated communities, recycled plastic, and ate organic food. They bought electric cars that the lower classes could never afford and then looked down their noses at all those country folk driving their big trucks. How excessive, how gauche the, the lower classes were. They are what's wrong with America. They are the ones using too much energy. These were the discussions among the privileged classes messaged on phones constructed with minerals mined by slave labor and powered by batteries that were destroying the earth, all in far-off countries, of course. It was terrible, but there was nothing they could do about it. Admitting the truth was impossible, that they should never have injected their children with an experimental mRNA therapy, or that they shouldn't have stuck those swabs up their toddlers' noses, giving them nosebleeds, or masked 
them for eight hours a day or cut the breasts off their daughters or insisted their sons were girls and how freeing it was that they could dress them up in bows and pump them full of drugs and real girls had to prostrate themselves before the fake girls because fake was the new real. And of course, those parents were all feminists and displayed their pronouns and in turn prostrated themselves before BLM and cried out for forgiveness for their white guilt. Well, how could they ever admit it was all lies and still maintain their holier-than-thou lifestyles and their own relevance in a new world where if you weren't relevant, you might as well not be alive? And so those beneath them had to be demonized, those who lived in the flyover states. Article after article was published, such as Newsweek's Why Are White Uneducated Voters Voting for Trump? There is a deep connection between education and a successful, well-run representative democracy. Voters need significant education to be able to judge the people to whom they delegate the power to make governing decisions and to assess how they are governing how their governing systems are operating. Without adequate education, generally and specifically, about representative democracy, the system itself is at risk. The author brushes aside the fact that people actually were suffering from job loss, as if that didn't matter. The real reason they voted for Trump was because they have not been adequately educated to understand just how dangerous a President Trump would be to the Constitution. I know full well what it's like to be brutally and systematically demonized by the elite, to have lies whispered about me at high-class dinners and charity events to which I was not invited, which was fine by me. I was home taking care of my kids, unable to afford a babysitter, because I did not fit in with that crowd and never would. How could I have possibly started a nonprofit and built it from nothing without the support of a wealthy husband or connections in the upper class? I didn't come from that privileged world, so I had never amassed powerful friends in high places to call on for favors. I wasn't like the other co-founder, a nun who had been on the cover of People magazine who absolutely worshipped politicians like Adam Schiff and loved being photographed with Hollywood celebrities. I was, a Mennonite, I was of Mennonite stock with parents who had raised me to follow the teachings of Jesus, actually follow them, not mouth them. I had a dream encouraged by a woman named Alma Woods, after whom the Watts Library is named. Alma was my mentor. I used to visit her after my last child was born in 1994, and she would take me around her neighborhood, revealing its beauty, not the violent gang-infested side the press focused on. One time, as we were walking, we came upon two teenage boys loitering outside a liquor store. They looked mean and tough, but they knew Alma, everyone did, and the minute she launched into a lecture, they hung their heads in shame and obeyed her quick as a flash when she told them to get back to school. I spent hours with Alma in her home, where she told me inspiring tales of how she, of how she fought against bureaucrat, bureaucrats to get the library built. Once it was built, they wanted to name it after someone who had donated a million dollars, because that's how it always was done. But the people of Watts protested and said it needed to be named after Alma. She was the one who had built the library, not the billionaires who cared only about the appearance of good deeds, not actually doing them. With her vision, her effort, her tears and prayers, that's how the library had been built. The people won that fight, and the library bears her name. Alma Woods is long gone, but I am sure she would see through the smoke and mirrors now. When I faced hardships and feared standing up to those who resented my presence at the head of a board table, she told me to be strong, that I belonged there, that I should never doubt God's calling. I miss her terribly. A year before I was ousted from Inside Out Writers, the name of the organization I founded, 
I was warned by some of the younger Hollywood crowd who had become involved with the organization and who felt sorry for me, I guess, that I was going to be thrown out. Prepare yourself. It's going to get ugly, they said. I was naive enough to think that maybe they might have a change of heart and stand up for me in the end, but no. They acknowledged that it wasn't right, but there was nothing they could do. They had too much to lose and nothing to gain by defending me. In the movies, you always see the hero standing up for what's right against insurmountable odds, and then, at the last minute, a crowd gathers to support them, or, like in Star Wars, Han Solo shows up, proving he really does have a heart of gold and he isn't just a cold-blooded mercenary. And, of course, the good guys win, everyone gets rich, and rides off into the sunset. <laughs> but real life isn't like that. Nobody stood up for me. I fought my battles alone. But I kept my voice and I kept my freedom, and I did not sell out to those who had more power than me. After my ousting, I met with a journalist from the Los Angeles Times, someone who had been a teacher in the program. I thought maybe he'd be curious about what had happened to me. We met at a cafe in downtown LA near the LA Times building. He made a big production of taking out a notebook and pen and then looked at me expectantly, but he never asked any questions about what had happened and I was reticent to talk about it as he seemed completely disinterested. By the end of our short time together, that page in his notebook was as blank as it had been when we first sat down. He closed it and put it away. It was like a slap in the face. I didn't even warrant a sentence. I was that insignificant. I began to think perhaps I was an idiot. It's hard to maintain <clears throat> your faith when everyone around you is telling you that you're a fool. To this day, I wonder why he even met with me. Perhaps he had intended to write a hit piece and realized he didn't want to do it. He could never have written something to support me. Back then, there were no organizations I could turn to for help. There were no well-known and respected journalists waking up, leaving mainstream publications, and venturing out on their own. There was no alternative media at all. There was no substack. If what had happened to me then instead had happened now, it would have been a very different story. There would have been alternative media that I could have gone to who would have wanted to tell the story. I wouldn't have felt so alone. As it was, I was written out of the narrative of the organization as if I had, as if I had never existed. As if it hadn't been me who had gone in there with, on my own all those years ago with a dream to start a writing program for incarcerated youth. As if it hadn't been me who had put my heart and soul into building the program from nothing into something that these powerful people then craved. But one thing they couldn't take away from me was the beautiful relationships I had built with some of my former students. Years later, when the other founder, Sister Janet Harris, retired, they had a big party for her. I didn't even know about the party, of course, but one of my former students, Candace, was there, a young woman who I had maintained a friendship with through her years in prison and then after she was released. She told me that at the party, Sister Janet was celebrated from the podium as the sole founder of the organization. So what did Candace do? She got up and grabbed the microphone and said loud and clear, there's someone you're all forgetting and that's Karen Hunt. And she proceeded to remind them of who I was and what I'd done. It made me cry when she told me that. It took so much courage for her to go against everyone else and speak those words of truth. The friends I'd had who were privileged certainly hadn't stood up for me. Afterwards, Candace was reprimanded. You know Karen's a racist, they said. People who had never met me parroted those words because they had heard them over and over from the nun and the powerful people she had brought into the organization. Why would a nun say that if it wasn't true? 
Well, we all know what happened to James O'Keefe, who started Project Veritas. Why would the board have wanted to bring him down when he had made it so successful? Power and the hatred of the visionaries. I was told with great disdain at a board meeting once, how can you put a price on a visionary? I can't speak for O'Keefe, but I know that as a creative force, I refused to be bought off by money or promises of recognition. That was never what had motivated me, and it never would be. We are all familiar now with the ways they destroy the reputations of anyone perceived as a threat. Call them a racist, a white colonialist. The words supremacist and insurrectionist weren't yet being used in 2006 when I was ousted. But if they had been, I'm sure I would have been called those things. It was devastating at first, but over the years, it's just made me stronger. They can call me anything they like. The way I've lived my life speaks for itself. I laughed through my tears when Candace told me how she confronted those those who were reprimanding her and said, excuse me, look at my skin. I'm as black as can be. I know she's not a racist. She's my friend. But no one listened to her. All it meant was that I must have somehow influenced her. After all, I had that kind of sway over those poor, uneducated, formerly incarcerated youth from the lower classes, because that's how the privileged look at those who are beneath them. Bowing to their rule will never be enough. They will never be satisfied. That's why it's better never to start at all. I would rather be poor than compromised. And here was the crux of the matter. And here is the crux of the matter. It is demanded of the populace that we put our own brains, our own logic, our own common sense on hold. They are the experts. We are the pawns and we must defer to them. Former KGB agent Yuri Alexandrovich Bezhmenov warned in 1984 that Russia had a long-term goal of ideologically subverting the U.S. Except that it isn't Russia, it isn't China, it isn't communism or fascism. Even these claims, all valid at a certain level, subvert us from the deeper truth. Bezhmenov was on the right path when he said, what, is ba- what this basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interest of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. But what he couldn't have anticipated was that the day would come when it wouldn't be despite the abundance of information, but it would be precisely because of the abundance of information that we are no longer able to reach sensible conclusions. We think that if we just read one more three-minute article or listen to one more podcast with our favorite pundit revealing yet another bombshell or urgent revelation that we will know more of the truth. This is a lie that both sides are now promoting. The more information we stuff inside our brains in short, snappy articles and sensational videos, the less truth we are able to discern. Inside the prisons made for the algorithms, we will only hear the same propaganda over and over, doling our natural instincts and common sense as a result. The truth is not really that complicated. It's inside every one of us. We know it instinctively. We don't need an expert to tell us that Washington is corrupt or that Hollywood is filled with pedophiles. Yet ever since they put their scapegoats on trial, like Weinstein, Maxwell, and Epstein, we are supposed to think it has all magically disappeared, and we are ridiculed as conspiracy theorists if we say otherwise. We don't need an expert to tell us that drilling holes in our brains to install microchips or cutting the breasts off of girls so they can change their gender is crazy. We know this in our hearts, and to deny the truth of it is to deny the very essence of our humanity. You can find all sorts of crazy claims in the media now, like this one I saw today. 
Researchers have created tiny fairy-like robots that could replace dying bumblebees, superior to its natural counterparts. They cannot admit it is their fault the bumblebees are dying off, and they need to stop whatever it is that they are doing to make it happen. Instead, they double down on the lies, and we are supposed to go along with it. We are supposed to believe that the solution is to replace the natural order of our world with the unnatural, and that this will somehow be superior. This is what they are doing to everything, even to us. The storm is intensifying, and as it does, it will become harder and harder to see our way. The Bible tells us, if, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. I believe that the veil is this mountain of information constantly beamed into our brains. It blinds us from the simplicity of truth. Whether Trump is Obi-Wan Kenobi or Darth Vader, take your pick. Will he be let off in handcuffs, or is this just another manipu manipulation to keep us on the edge of our seats? I cannot tell you that, but of one thing I am sure, it's about to get even crazier. All right, thank you so much. Once again, please subscribe, please share and comment, and thank you so much for reading and for listening. God bless.